Health Nerd Podcast, where every episode we bring you fascinating discussions with the movers, shakers, and innovators in food, health, agriculture, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Teresa Sam Houghton of Green Gut Wellness, and I'm excited to kick off this podcast with an interview with Tony Martins. Tony is the co-founder of Plantable Foods, where they're doing amazing things with plant-based protein. I spoke with Tony before for an interview for the Modern Health Nerd newsletter, and he joined me for the inaugural episode to talk about everything from plant-based protein to clean label to sustainability. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do and about Plantable Foods? Sure, sure. Glad to be here. Uh, So yeah, I'm Tony. I'm the co-founder of uh, Plantable Foods originally from Amsterdam, the Netherlands, but uh, moved to Southern California approximately three years ago to uh, start this company. And at Planable Foods, what we're actually focusing on is building a scalable and sustainable food supply chain that is capable of producing the next generation of food ingredients, starting with a plant-based protein that is derived from a leafy green aquatic plant called lemna, uh, also known as duckweed. Uh, the enzyme that we isolate is rubisco. And actually, rubisco seems to be an adequate replacement for myosin, the muscle meat protein, as well as both dairy proteins, whey, casein, and egg white. So what got you interested in plant-based foods and in kind of doing this more future of food alternative protein? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, I have a background in agricultural commodity supply chain management. um, And while working in the commodity trading business, uh, which was specifically focused on uh, traditional plant commodities like soy, pea, wheat and rice, what I learned and discovered is that these supply chains, which have been around for centuries, uh, have never been updated or optimized for the future they've just been built out and realizing the impact that climate change has on our food supply chain it just became apparent that the way we produce food today will not be sustainable and scalable enough to feed the future generations not that it is today even uh, but uh, especially not going forward and obviously you start then start to dig into like what are the biggest causes of climate change but also uh, climate change but also what is what can you do to build a more robust production system um obviously what you see is that animal agriculture is one of the major culprits of climate change so reason being for this food revolution that's taking place where people are moving away from animal-based food products towards more sustainable and arguably healthier plant-based foods. But in producing those plant-based foods, companies still rely on these traditional commodity or ingredient supply chains, which once again are incredibly prone to climate change due to the fact that they're all seeded and harvested once a year. So this applies to like pea, soy, and wheat. Uh, Meaning that let's say if you have, let's say, um, weather patterns that are unfavorable to grow these crops, you'll need to wait at least a year to recuperate. Uh, Meaning that actually the ingredient supply chain for these next generation food products is highly unstable uh, and the question is whether it's actually will be scalable to feed the growing demand for plant-based foods 
So if you then think about what can we do to create, let's say, a better ingredient that is more adequately capable of replacing these animal-based ingredients while building a supply chain that can actually scale alongside with the growing market demand. Um, that's how my co-founder and I actually got to starting Planable Foods. Do you see this now as being even more of an important focus area because of the glaring holes that we've seen in our food system with everything that's going on right now with the COVID and also with a lot of the different crazy things that are going on, like weather-wise and climate-wise? Is this something that you see as being now an even more important focus? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, actually, uh, in the past uh, three and a half years, you've also seen that food has become a geopolitical weapon where food supply chains are highly centered in specific areas in the world, primarily northern and southern America when it comes to the staple crops. Uh, so you've seen uh, that certain uh, politicians are keen on using it as a force of power. And yeah, absolutely. So with COVID, uh, climate change, you're going to see it more and more that it's going to impact the way we're producing food and creating holes that will only contribute to a more volatile supply and price. And the interesting thing is, uh, I guess we've all been relatively fortunate to be growing up in Western society. So we're less prone to, let's say, these underlying price swings. Uh, but if you go to, let's say, Sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia, the impact of, let's say, decreasing yields or volatile yields and thus price volatility is much more significant. So do you think that this is one of the next big areas that future food companies and people who are concerned about where our food system is going should be a big focus, both in actual production of ingredients and also just in the general narrative around the food system? Yeah, I think it, it is very worthwhile to spend or place more emphasis on the underlying supply chain than the final product. So obviously in the past couple of years, you've seen the rise of many plant-based food startups, which is great, all working on a great goal to create like delicious, adequate replacers of their animal-based counterparts. Uh, and there's been less emphasis on building or more robust supply chain, though there's, of course, this trend with an tech where people are trying to improve what is already in place by marginally increasing yields or perhaps even just keeping yields stable. Um, but it probably will not solve, let's say, the bigger problem, the problems that are going to arise, which are natural resource or, uh, let's say, arable land scarcity, uh, as well as fresh water scarcity. So I, I do think that more emphasis is required to actually build the supply these supply chains that can actually withstand, let's say, the rise in global population, but also withstand climate change. And that's kind of got me to thinking also about a lot of people are into doing the, the social enterprise, the social branding sort of thing where they are focusing on things like sustainability and things like 
reducing carbon footprint. Do you see maybe this, what we're talking about now being kind of the next generation of that, be like, we are contributing to a better food supply chain overall by using thus and such ingredients or by producing thus and such ingredients. Do you think that maybe plant-based companies should be thinking about that? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it also like the, the biggest goal of course is to create products that consumers want to eat. Right. So in the end, um, if you have the most sustainable supply chain in the world, but the output is uh, not considered palatable by consumers, it will in the end not be a sustainable business model. Uh, so the emphasis, emphasis should always be on creating delicious food products uh, that are also nutritious uh, for consumers. Uh, but yes, if, if we take that as a given, uh, then I do agree that companies should place more emphasis in building out more sustainable and scalable uh, food supply chains uh, and focus on indeed companies that are trying to reduce their footprint, uh, whether it's carbon related, water related or uh, arable land related. Um, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. And it's interesting that you should come back to the taste thing because everybody that I talk to and a lot of stuff that I read in this whole plant-based space and of course, being plant-based myself, taste is the biggie. You hear taste and price. So how is Plantable enabling people who make these foods to hit on those two biggies? Yeah, so what, the reason why we started with this enzyme is so uh, like every protein is unique and every protein is different, right? So you have myosin, the muscle meat protein, which contributes to, let's say, the texture, uh, and structure of meat products uh, and then you have egg whites that can create like your meringues or your uh, egg scrambled uh, and you can't use an egg white to create a steak right uh, well perhaps you can but it will be rather complicated um, so if you look at the plant-based protein space uh, like pea soy uh, rice wheat they're all upcycled waste streams from their underlying uh, food supply chains right so the majority of uh, soy is actually soy meal, which goes into animal feed, and only a small part of that is going into human nutrition. And actually, soy meal is considered to be a cope or waste stream from soybean oil production. It just happens to be that all these proteins are available in bulk, and that's why they are massively used uh, by the plant-based food industry. Not per se because they are the most adequate replacement of uh, egg whites or dairy proteins or meat proteins. Um, and because they're not that adequate in replacing the functionality of proteins, these food companies often end up adding uh, a lot of stabilizers uh, as well as ingredients to mask the flavor of these plant-based proteins in order to create this desired and palatable product. What we did is when we started the company, it was like, okay, based on the premises, we need to find an ingredient that both food companies want and that consumers want to eat because it contributes to a better texture, contributes to a better taste, it contributes to a better or more affordable product and a better nutrition. And that's how we stumbled upon Rubisco. So this enzyme, um, which happens to be this highly functional plant-based protein ingredient that somehow is a hybrid between myosin dairy proteins and egg whites so food formulators can actually 
create similar textures that you can create with an egg white or with a, a muscle meat protein if you were to take that as a base without adding any stabilizers or additional binders or viscosifiers. Plus, the way that we isolate the enzyme from the leafy green biomass also reduces the need for food scientists to add additional sugar, salts, and fats, or bitter blockers, flavor maskers, uh, because of the fact that our final protein has a very neutral flavor profile. So taking into account the functionality, which reduces the reliance on supporting ingredients uh, and the organoleptic, so the taste and smell profile of our ingredient, food scientists can actually significantly reduce the amount of ingredients that they otherwise need to add into a product, uh, which of course results in cost savings um, while actually being able to create a better tasting product. Along those lines, it brought me back to when we were talking for the article on alt protein that I did for my newsletter. Talk to me a little about opinions on clean label. Yeah, I think uh, clean label, it's, it's interesting, right? So um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a movement uh, that's uh, picking up pace, uh, rightfully so. The problem is, is that clean label, especially in the plant-based food space, is uh, a hot topic because people that produce these plant-based foods need to list and outline every ingredient that they use. Um, in theory, uh, perhaps when you look at animal-based products, we might need to do that as well, right? It would be very transparent and equal uh, and fair if uh, animal-based uh, food producers list all the food feedstuffs that the cow has eaten, including any antibiotic or medical treatments. Because uh, in the end, with the plant-based food products, it's basically the same. Instead of the cow, we replace the cow with a machine, right? Uh, and you feed the same ingredients, but the machine converts those ingredients into a final plant-based meat product or a plant-based dairy product. Whereas in the animal space, they feed the cow or chicken or pig uh, with feedstuffs and then that animal converts those feedstuffs into meat or dairy. If you then look at Clean Label, I think the challenge there is in the end, consumers want something that is really, really tasty, right? I think once again, it all starts with taste. Um, which might trump affordability. And in order to make something really tasty, you might need to add additional ingredients in order to create something that's palatable for consumers, uh, where, which might, in the eyes of the cons some consumers, make it less clean label. But at the same time, it might result in a better tasting product, which will actually accelerate the shift of the mainstream consumer to go to plant-based foods because like in the end like look at look at candy right there's no nutritional value in candy people just purely eat it because it contains a lot of sugar and people like sugar uh, and so the candy industry just makes products that people like to eat pure because of its flavor profile not because of anything else so if you want to trigger mainstream consumers to give up let's say, their dietary preferences or change their dietary preferences. You just need to come up with products that are as tasty or even tastier. And if that means that you need to add additional ingredients, potentially jeopardizing the clean label, uh, that might be what it takes. So in your opinion, it's go for taste first and then worry about everything else? 
overall, everybody has the same goal, right? Which is trying to make the food supply chain more sustainable. So I need to think about the bigger picture. And that is how can you persuade the mainstream consumer to give up or change their dietary preferences to products that are better for the world? And if that means that you need to create better tasting products, that is what you should do. And then afterwards, you can always start to work on optimizing that respective food formulation in order to make it more nutritious uh, and better. But as startups in this space, you're always, you don't have endless amounts of time, right? So you have to work from milestone to milestone. So you need to kickstart your sales. And if that means that you need to appeal to your mainstream consumer, making more delicious products, which arguably are sli- are slightly unhealthy, then perhaps that is what it takes to onboard these initial mainstream consumers and help them accelerate their shift. I think I have to agree with you in that area of getting more people on board with at least trying plant-based because I feel like we kind of have this idea as a society and it goes back to that idea of a prevailing narrative where vegan food is still rabbit food for some reason. And people are always saying, well, I could never go vegan because I would miss X, Y, Z. So do you feel like plantable is part of being able to change that narrative and get people to realize that, yeah, food that comes from plants is actually not only tasty, but also satisfying. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Of course, that's our goal, right? So uh, once again, I think in order to create like the next generation of products that appeal even more to the mainstream consumer, uh, you need to come up with better technologies, but also better ingredients. Um, so that's why we've been focusing on the ingredient side, uh, producing this next generation of plant-based protein ingredient that can actually adequately replace these animal-based proteins, right? So a good example Uh, It's very simple. If you take your mainstream plant-based protein ingredients and you try to dissolve them in water, uh, often you end up with a rather grainy and gritty texture just because of the fact that they don't have this solubility that you can find in, let's say, a whey protein. Whereas if you take our protein, it has a solubility of 95 to 100%. So you can actually add the same amount of protein that you can with these dairy proteins without getting this grainy and gritty texture that you have with these mainstream plant, pro- uh, plant protein ingredients. See, every time it's like you talk about this and it's making me excited, I want to start seeing this in stuff because I want to see how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, uh, you're almost uh, always more than welcome to come to our farm in San Diego and have a sneak peek of some of the samples that we're producing. Uh, but we hope to get something out there uh, in 2021. You see, now we don't have to wait long. So if you're listening, you better keep your eyes peeled next year for some of this to turn up, hopefully, in some of these new plant products. So I think I will ask kind of the big question. If you could bring about just one change in the modern food system, if you had literally like unlimited resources, power to do anything, if you could bring out one change in the modern food system, what would it be? So... There are a couple of things that I'm really excited about, about its potential. Um, so, for example, I'm, I'm really curious about what personalized nutrition can mean for us down the road, uh, especially in the next couple of decades. But bringing it back and trying to simplify it for myself, I think the biggest insecurity that we have as the inhabitants of this world is whether we will be able to provide the future generations with 
sufficient amount of nutrition, right? I'm not talking about Western society, but more about those regions in the world that are highly dependent on other regions to provide them with food. Um, so if I were to have had this unlimited amount of power in whatever form or way, I would actually first focus on ensuring that down the road, people across the world will have access to the same amount of nutrition, the same quality of nutrition uh, at the same price. I really love that goal because that that speaks to something that's kind of a soapbox topic. I see, again, we go back to the tribal thing. I see a lot of elitism within the dietary space. And I don't think it's anybody's fault because we tend to, like I said, gravitate towards like people and we build our communities and we start to, I think we get encapsulated in our own bubbles and we forget about exactly what you said, which is people around the world don't have the same easy access that we do. And we just having that outward focus is really important to me as well. So for plantable, do you think that there might be a way that you can start to pour more into that goal as you ramp up? Yeah, it's a good question. So like uh, when designing our production system, uh, we've designed in such a way that we're independent uh, of arable land. So we could basically build our production facility uh, in any continent, any region of the world and supply that specific region, not only, of course, with jobs and employment, but also with high quality nutrition. Um, and that was one of the key elements that we set out when we were let's say, designing our business plan and designing what, is, uh, what our production facility should look like. Um, and that is that is our goal, to actually democratize the food supply chain. Because it's not only like, let's say, southern if, if the global population starts to grow, right, and there's going to be more demand for these mainstream commodities. Don't forget that 60% of the world's diet is coming from four food sources, right, which are soy, corn, wheat, and rice. That's that, that's accountable for 60% of the global food supply chain. Um, and these are controlled in, let's say, two or three regions in the world. So let's say if these regions want to enforce their will in the next decade, as we've actually already started seeing in the last three years, what's the world going to look like, right? Because it's you're going to create this huge imbalance and oligopolis type of structure across nations. Uh, and what we want to do is basically have this scalable supply chain that can be deployed, whether it's in sub-Saharan Africa or in Southeast Asia or in China or uh, in uh, Southern Europe, so that these areas that are currently exposed to non-vertile soil, water shortages, and thereby relying on other countries to provide them with their highly needed nutrition can actually sustain themselves. I'm picturing it as you're talking and I, I like what I see. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually at a kind of a loss for words while I picture it. I really like that as a goal. And I, I personally would love to see more companies with that kind of outward focus. And I, I do think we're going to see more people starting to focus on where, where can we make these changes to be able to be independent of land and of climate. I'm personally excited about how we can work in addition to traditional and perhaps in some places 
like you're talking about improving traditional to get away from these systems, especially like factory farming, because despite all of the tribalism among the diets, factory farming is bad is kind of a rallying cry, you know? Exactly. Right. Um, it, it's just, we've gone completely overboard as a society with what kind of foods we ate, right? uh, eat. Uh, we've been moving away. We can eat avocados every month of the year. Uh, we can can eat every fruit every month of the year, whereas it's absolutely unnatural. And uh, similarly, I mean, the supply chains that started to arise because of that are also just fascinating with peas being cultivated in Canada, then being shipped to China, where they're being processed into the pea starch, which is then used for the vermicelli, and then the pea protein being shipped back to Northern America to be used in consumer products. Um, which just as a whole doesn't make sense if you think about it. Which is where your idea of putting your farms anywhere that people actually need stuff comes into play because then it will be right there. Exactly. So it, it makes it not only more sustainable, lower carbon footprint, but also in a sense, hyper-local. Yeah, hyper-local and all driven based on the fact that in the end, the output of the farm, like once again, sustainability is key, but in the end, in order for it to succeed and actually have a sustainable business model, the output needs to be something that consumers want, right? So we're starting with, okay, what kind of ingredients can we produce that are appealing to food companies as well as consumers? And then how can we integrate that in our production system? So do you have any other thoughts on other ingredients you might be working on in the future? Or is that still kind of in... Yeah, process. we have some projects going on, but once again, we also need to be uh, focused, right? So we're still a relatively small team. Uh, we have some ideas about what kind of other products can be produced by the way we currently produce our protein. Um, so there are some thoughts there. We're slowly and surely doing some experiments, but uh, most importantly, let's first get this uh, protein to market uh, before we start to get deviated into other production uh, processes. Yeah, you want to make the connection with the companies who are going to connect you to consumers and get consumers realizing again that this is plant-based food. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. Well, I mean, like, I think uh, personally, I, I hate to, I hate, I hate is a strong word. Let's say I dislike the term alternative, which because it completely downplays the actual uh, purpose of these new companies, right? So. I like to see it as more like the next generation, right? So we had like the old generation in which we had animal farms. We had like these humongous, let's say, un, let's say uh, inefficient, inefficient supply chains. And we're now all together working on, let's say, the next generation and the future of a food supply chain. So how would you like to see all of the plant-based startups and the plant-based companies out there start to come together a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It Interesting. So, for example, what I really like is this uh, the, the Live Kindly initiative, right? So, where they're basically trying to create this large uh, food conglomerate, which purely and solely focuses on plant-based food products. Uh, I think these are the ways going forward to, let's say, work together in order to align our goals. Uh, the food market is so big that it's definitely not a winner-takes-all market. Uh, so, instead of fighting each other, uh, helping each other and trying to help each other scale, trying to complement each other in whatever everyone is doing. I think that's the way to move forward. And that, once again, is also a little bit contradicting with what many of the investors are looking for, 
which is a lot of IP and patent protection, right, which doesn't really stimulate a collaborative approach, if you think about it. I think that we have a bright future coming with the plant-based. Uh, you know, it's already, I keep saying future, but I look at it and it's its one of those things, the future really is already here with all these technologies and like the things you're doing at Plantable. So why don't you uh, let our listeners know where they can get in touch with you, where they can get in touch with Plantable and see what you're, what you're all about and what you're up to so that they can keep watching and know when to start looking for you and you in collaboration with other plant-based products. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so obviously people can always uh, connect with me on uh, LinkedIn. I'm Tony Martins, uh, Plantable Foods. Uh, you can also visit our website, www.plantablefoods.com. Uh, there's a small contact form there. So if you have any questions or want to reach out, discuss some topics, feel free to leave behind uh, your contact uh, details and leave a small short message and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. And then obviously our farm is based in San Diego. So if you happen to be in the area, shoot me a message and uh, perhaps we can meet up and uh, show you around. And um, I just want to mention, I did touch on the article that I wrote a while back over on the Modern Health Nerd newsletter, I will drop a link for that in the show notes. And there will also be a link to where you can connect with Tony Martins and Plantable Foods. So Tony, thanks a lot for being on the podcast. It was great talking with you. Yeah, likewise. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity. Again, another big thanks to Tony Martins for joining us on the first episode of the Modern Health Nerd podcast. And thank you for joining us. If you liked this episode, share it with a fellow nerd so that they can hear a little bit more about what's going on in plant-based proteins. And if you're up for some more nerdity, join us for the next episode. We'll be here every other Wednesday right through the end of the year. And after that, who knows what our schedule will be like. So stay tuned for more Modern Health Nerd news and interviews. See you next episode. The Modern Health Nerd Podcast is brought to you by Green Gut Wellness. If you're ready to take a novel approach to content strategy, check out greengutwellness.com.